This podcast brought to you by ProtectWise. Learn how cloud-powered network detection and response streamlines threat investigations. Test drive ProtectWise now at protectwise.com forward slash test drive. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast brought to you by ProtectWise. Learn how cloud-powered network detection and response streamlines threat investigations. Test drive ProtectWise now at protectwise.com forward slash test drive. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Robin Wiener, the president of an organization called ISRI, I-S-R-I. Website is isri.org. And uh, Robin works in in and with the recycling industry. So, uh, Robin, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for uh, asking me to join you today. Yeah, for some reason I didn't see it. What does ISRI stand for? ISRI stands for the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries. We're a trade association based in Washington, D.C., representing the scrap recycling industry. Okay. And, uh, you know, people outside of the industry, I don't know, they think of scrap as all kinds of things, but what do you guys classify scrap as? Well, that's a great question um, because I think, unfortunately, I mean, one of the biggest issues we face is that often when people think of scrap or recyclables, they think of waste. And scrap and waste are two very different things. Waste is something that has reached the end of its useful life and, and is to be discarded or thrown away and ends up in a landfill or incinerated. Scrap is a material that uh, may be may have reached its end of life, um, may be um, secondary material if generated through manufacturing, um, off spec material, etc. And it is recycled into a commodity grade product that is then sold into manufacturing, into steel mills, paper mills, foundries, plastic refiners all around the world for use as a raw material feedstock. And globally, more than 40% of the raw material needs of global manufacturing is met through scrap products. Wow. Yeah, so I guess aluminum, I guess, is probably one of the most recycled things there is. So aluminum is definitely scrap, but, you know, that half-eaten hamburger I threw in the garbage probably is waste, right? That's true. And uh, thank you for clarifying that. Um, Typical scrap commodities include, and there are literally hundreds and and in some cases thousands of grades of scrap material, but the basic materials we're talking about are certainly metals, both non-ferrous like aluminum, copper, zinc, et cetera, uh, and ferrous, steel and iron, as well as paper, plastics, rubber, electronic goods, um, and glass and textiles. So how is um, the U.S. or the world doing are we recycling a lot of scrap or is still a majority of it going to, uh, you know, going into landfills and being thrown away and not used? Well, it's certainly the um, recycling rates of the various materials and what becomes scrap versus what is waste of varies depending upon the material. But in general, about a hundred, the U.S. generates and we process, the U.S. recycling industry processes about 
130 million tons of scrap materials each and every year worth about $117 billion. So it is a very large in industry and that, that volume has stayed relatively constant for years. Um, in, over the, um, when you look at the entire globe, about 800 million metric tons of scrap are recycled each year into commodity-grade products. So it is very much of a global industry, and um, it is a very strong, um, it's a very strong industry. Certainly, we are in a transition period right now, in that so much of the scrap that is recycled in various countries around the world actually is um, moved through the international through international trade into global markets. And with a lot of the changes occurring in international trade and with tariffs and all the activities occurring in China, that has certainly affected the movement of scrap as well. Yeah, I heard that China was closing its doors, you know, or did so beginning of this year to a lot of uh, waste. So what's what's been the reaction? Um, are we now scrambling well, to try to uh, recycle more or send it somewhere else? So what are they doing? And it's a great question because that is on everyone's mind. And first of all, they are closing their door to waste. They're also closing their door to scrap. So both materials are closing their door to. Um, and there are different issues. And it, it's not being triggered by one issue in particular. Certainly, uh, I think everyone is aware that uh, China is facing a massive environmental crisis. And the uh, their president, uh, President Xi, may, has made the environment one of his top three priorities. And so they've been moving across all the different uh, sectors of their economy, trying to address soil contamination, water contamination, air emissions, et cetera, through every manufacturing sector. And one of the sectors they targeted last summer was recycling. And while there were some very strong operations, um, responsible operations going on in China, there were also um, a large number that were not as responsible and caused a lot of the environmental contamination. So um, they have uh, they've gone after those uh, facilities through closures, enforcement, uh, et cetera. And they've also looked at then the import and the import of materials to feed manufacturing. And there it's driven no by a number of different factors. Certainly um, environment to the extent that waste was being shipped into China under the guise of being scrap, but it really wasn't, or there was some scrap that was contaminated. So they're trying to stop that, but they're also trying to move to a self-sufficient economy, and especially when it comes to their raw material feedstocks. And so they mm. placed a, a large number of restrictions on material coming into the country, including scrap. The um, problem, the challenge for the U.S. recycling industry, and there's been a lot of news about this over the last few years, or last year rather, is that, as I mentioned, it's very much of a global economy when it comes to scrap. And of the $130 million, um, or the $117 billion worth of scrap processed in the, uh, in, in the U.S. each year, uh, up to a third of it works its way into the export market going to about 150 different countries worldwide. So we ship to steel mills, foundries, paper mills, et cetera, all over the world. The challenge is that because of the rapid industrialization in China, they became yeah. one of the largest consumers of raw materials and resources, uh, you know, across the, uh, the chain, of, uh, across the, the value chain for these materials. And so when it comes to scrap, they were responsible, they were our biggest customer, basically responsible for purchasing probably about 40% of what went into the export market. 
And last year, that was worth $5.6 billion. So you can imagine what the closure has meant. It, it was a, and the fact that it was done so suddenly, you can't very easily find homes for $5.6 billion worth of commodity in a matter of months. And so yeah. while there has been a shift in markets, there's uh, definitely, we're in, a, we're in a transition period. Yeah, you know what, I, I don't know, if this, this is just my speculation, but I guess the fact that, um, you know, the U.S. consumes X, Y, Z, but we get it, you know, we get a lot of our stuff, for instance, from China. So raw materials or things that we consume here, uh, we may not, even if we recycle them, we may not be able to remake those things here. So we'd have to send them, you know, let's say back to China for them to make the product and then sell it back to us. It seems kind of like right. a, an odd, inefficient system. So it seems like maybe this will be a wake-up call for things to be done differently. You know, it seems like ideally to cut down on a lot of costs and waste, um, we would make stuff here and we consume stuff here and then we'd recycle and, you know, make stuff here and consume stuff here. It seems like that's a lot better way to go. Well, that that raises also the larger issue about the, the role of global trade in general, because that's not just a question that pertains to manufacturing, usually utilizing scrap, but you're raising issues with regard to manufacturing in general. And should all manufacturing occur domestically um, for any product we produce? And I think that generally there is a value to the global chain, the global recycling or global supply chain for all materials. And there are reasons why manufacturers locate in other countries. Having said that, um, certainly there is a lot of opportunity here in the U.S. for um, increasing manufacturing here, and we support that growth within the U.S. We're working very closely with manufacturers to increase the use of recycled materials in their manufacturing processes. We have a program called Design for Recycling, where we've worked with, very closely with the automakers, with appliance manufacturers, and manufacturers in other industries as well, to talk about what are some of the challenges that have prevented, at the end of the use, their useful life, certain goods, durable goods, and consumer products from being recycled. And how do we get over those challenges? And the only way to, to do that is by working together and, and having that dialogue throughout the chain. And so that is a, a huge um area where we do a lot of work. And another area that I, I just want to make sure I mention, because I think your listeners may be particularly interested in this, is the U.S. Department of Energy is doing a lot of interesting work in this area. Um, you, may be, you may be aware that the DOE has a number of what they call the Manufacturing USA Institute. And within that, they, have, they formed something about a year ago called the Remade Institute which is a $50 million institute over five years uh, based up, I believe, in Rochester, where they are looking at ways to enable early stage applied research and development of different technologies that will help reduce embodied energy and carbon emissions associated with industrial scale manufacturing. And recycling is a huge part of that. And they've already gone through their first wave of approving um, our research projects to support the uh, the efforts of the institute. And there's a lot of interesting uh, projects that are working their way through that uh, that system. And I think there's a lot of promise for us down the road for increasing manufacturing here in the U.S. and manufacturing that utilizes recycled materials. Well, you know, I mean, very few people are insiders to the uh the waste and the scrap industry. So like, you know, 
I know this in almost every industry, public perception is probably very different from the reality. I mean, as the public, you know, we're told to recycle and reduce and reuse, and et cetera. But, you know, I, I wonder where the, um, the biggest linchpins will be in this industry. Is it having manufacturers create stuff that can be recycled more easily later on, you know, like a cradle to cradle manufacturing type thing? Or is it getting better at recycling things we're not recycling? Or is it the end consumer just consuming less or recycling more? I mean, where, is, where do you think the big wins are going to come from? that will really uh, make make our use of waste better or use of scrap a lot better? Um, it's a great question. And the truth is that like many challenges out there, there isn't a panacea. There's no one solution. Um, mm. We generally see three pressure points. Uh, one is on the supply chain, which is that the major sources of scrap are the certainly industrial manufacturing, commercial uh, facilities, but also residential. Um, residential recycling, um, you, everyone knows about that blue bin at the end of their uh, driveway. And while residential recycling is not the, the largest of the sources, it is the most visible. And one of the problems we've been facing throughout the country over the last couple of years is that there's been an emphasis on the volume of material that goes into the bin rather than its quality. And the challenge is we're producing a commodity-grade material that manufacturers need, and manufacturers need clean material. And to use a very um, um, a, a, an example that I think helps people understand the problem very vividly, uh, if you have a newspaper that you put in your recycling bin and you throw your uh, dirty diaper in there, mm. you've just lost the ability to recycle that newspaper. And so uh, we need to work with consumers and municipalities across the country to talk about what do you put in that bin and what, is that, what has to be the condition of what you're putting in the bin. Should you be recycling that plastic container and the plastic bag go into the bin? And the truth is that the, the, um, it's, very much, uh, it's very much dependent upon the technology for the material recycling facility or MRF that is taking the material through the municipal system. And so the standards may vary depending upon uh, the community. And so making sure that within communities, um, the uh, people, when they're deciding in their homes whether or not to put something in the bin, that they're checking what their municipal program can handle and what it can't, um, not making assumptions. And we have a program actually called the Better Bin. There's information on this on our website that talks about that. A second pressure point is certainly within recycling itself is we're constantly improving technology and looking at uh, different systems that will help upgrade, help us upgrade the quality of materials. And there's been a lot of advances in sortation technology um, and related systems, and that's going to continue. And then the third pressure point is on the demand side. Uh, recycling is very much demand-driven. And so we need manufacturers to use the recycled material or it won't flow through the system. And so that's where we talk to manufacturers about increasing their use. What is the, uh, the Better Bin program? What's that about? Sure. Um, a Better Bin program is an opportunity to um, educate and provide resources to consumers about what they should and should not put in the bin and why also so they understand the reasons for um, what we are advising. And so a great example is that um, plastic bags. Plastic bags can be recycled. 
but they have mm. to be recycled. They have to be put into the right um, into the to right collection system. If they go into the bin, they're going to be mixed with other recyclables, and they have the potential to jam the recycling equipment. And so that's not beneficial for anyone. Instead, though, there are separate collection systems in grocery stores, for example, and in other locations, and that's where the recycled bags should be put. That people shouldn't bag their recyclables. Um, that you shouldn't put batteries into your bin. The problem with putting batteries, and there are batteries can be recycled, but that's not what should go into the bin because that creates fire um, safety uh, concerns within the recycling facility. Mm. That has to be handled in a facility that can handle that material. But we love to see corrugated material, box board, um, like the egg crates, for example, um, or that, that Amazon box uh, from... Um, oh, yeah. With all the e-commerce, you know, it's, we're seeing more and more I boxes. A, I have an Amazon landfill in my garage every month. So yeah, <laughs> you know what you mean. Hopefully it becomes a recycling depot rather than a landfill. Um, but yeah, yes, we, yeah. we all have that. I have that as well. And so um, helping people understand that if you've got a food packaging, for example, you have a, a bottle, uh, making sure that it's been emptied before it goes into the bin, things like that. That's what we're focusing on in the Better Bin, Better bin campaign. What about an app where you could scan something or just type in the name of something and it would tell you, do this, do that, put this here, don't put it there? You know, what if like the bin itself had like a little scanner or again, an app and you can just, you know, because I've seen in plenty of places, uh, there's a hole and it says recyclables go in here, trash goes in here, land. And I don't, I don't know what's supposed to go in there. It, or well, compost goes in here. I don't, I, maybe it's stupid. I just don't know what to put in there. It doesn't help me, you know? You're not stupid at all. I have the same challenges. Uh, we have the same challenge in our own home sometimes. My husband and I look at each other and say, should this go in? So we're all facing those questions. And part of that's a labeling issue. And there are a number of entities out there that are helping to create um, consistent labeling. And so, and one of the things I'm, I'm very excited about is that um, a number of associations in this space are getting together to try to figure out how do we align our messages so that we're not, um, we reduce the confusion um, in the general population as to what can and cannot be recycled. I, it's an interesting recommendation you make about scanning. I think that part of the challenge is, is that not everyone can agree yet on even what the de definition of having a product that is recyclable is yet. What a brand owner may think is recyclable because in an R&D facility it can be recycled doesn't mean it can truly be recycled in the real world. And so, again, what, what I'm excited about is um, there more and more of us are coming together to have this discussion behind the scenes to try to make it easier for the consumer. And, and hopefully there'll be some developments, you know, in the coming months and years. Well, wouldn't it be the waste picker-upper that decides, you know, like if, waste management services, my neighborhood or something, or the local city, I mean, why wouldn't they determine, hey, what works best for us is if you separate X and Y, but not Z and B. So they could, why couldn't they push local settings or suggestions and say, hey, in, in our city, this is what you should do because it helps us out the most, you know? I don't and, care about the brand. And certainly they are doing that. There, we have uh, 1,300 members around the country and around the world. Waste management is one of them. Um, and they're both a waste hauler and a scrap recycler. Now, I would, certainly they, they have a voice and recyclers have a voice. 
But as much as we would like to say this is what you should and shouldn't take, municipalities have, have a voice as well because they're the ones setting budgets and ultimately deciding you know, what these programs look like. So there has to be a conversation including them. We have to make sure manufacturers are part of the, the conversation as well. They have a say in terms of the demand side. So there are a lot of different stakeholders in this discussion. And, and if we go it alone, <laughs> I don't think we're going to make as much progress as if we work together. Is there money to incentivize people? Like, um, you know, let's say my trash bill is, uh, you know, it's built through the city and it's like, I don't know, 50 bucks a month. And if I, um, if I put unseparated stuff out, you know, I pay 80 bucks a month. But if I separate everything, I only pay like 50 bucks a month. I mean, are you seeing any municipalities doing like a reward or punishment system to get people to separate things properly? That's actually a really interesting discussion uh, that we should be having. And as a matter of fact, next week, I'm headed to um, what we're calling a MRF summit. A MRF is a material recycling facility. It's a, it's a general term, but um, we're actually bringing together uh, municipalities, recyclers, brand owners, manufacturers, um, all throughout the chain to sit down and talk about some of these issues and develop solutions. And that's an interesting one. That's one I may raise next. Yeah, I mean, just different ways to incentivize people. You know, again, like as a homeowner, in a way, I don't, I, you know, I have multiple bins, but like I said, I don't know what to put in them. I don't know if they take them and just all dump them in the same place. I don't have any incentive to recycle unless my own ethics tell me to do it because I, it doesn't matter to me. I just still get the same bill. So that's, that's why I bring right. all this stuff up, you know. No, and it's out. a great point. And, and I think the part of the challenge is that the economics uh, varies by community also. And mm. uh, and also there's been an issue with contracts that some of the MRSA have had with the municipalities. If they have a multi-year contract, it may not um, actually be flexible enough to deal with the uh, changes in pricing and the, fluctu the fluctuation in uh, commodity prices. And commodity prices, especially mm. these days, fluctuating tremendously yeah are we um do you feel like as a society you know some people say like we're we're in trouble we're drowning in garbage you know we're running out of stuff i mean what do you think being an insider like how are, how are we doing are we doing well in recycling are we just doing like the absolute minimum we have so far to go i mean what's your perception of uh of the entire Not waste and use ecosystem i i appreciate very much you raising that question and i and i think that um, there's a couple of answers to that. I think that in general, recycling is actually very strong because, again, I, I want to go back to what I said a little while ago, which is that residential recycling, the stream that most people are familiar with, is only one portion of what's happening in recycling across the country and across the world. And certainly, residential recycling is, um, is in challenge times right now, and we could do a lot better. Um, I think we all have a responsibility, I mean all of us, including recyclers, to um, get the word out and to reduce the confusion as to what can be in that bin and maximize what can be in the bin, but at the same time maximize um, the opportunity to put contaminated materials in the landfill where it belongs mm. with the waste. And so, uh, but other parts of recycling are, are doing uh, very well uh, in, in general. The uh, manufacturing sector of our economy does a terrific job in terms of um, isolating and uh, making use of 
the recycling streams that they're generating and making sure it gets in back into the recycling chain. Okay. And then in terms of um, what do you think the near-term future is going to be? Any big uh, changes? You know, anything that uh, we've we've had a dream of recycling that we haven't been able to until now? I mean, what are the big trends you see that are coming over the next few years? A really good question. Yeah, I mean, the things I think about, I don't know how much they would be of interest. They're 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 inside the uh, what I call that inside the beltway, inside the community trends or whatever, inside the the, the industry trends. I mean, we're certainly seeing continued uh, technological innovation within the industry, uh, specifically with again sorting te- technology. How do you further sort out the recyclables that are in that mixed stream? Uh, one of uh, one of the largest segments of the industry are what we call the shredders. They're shredding automobiles uh, that uh, at end of life, and we have approximately 200 shredders around the country. And these are huge, multi-million dollar machines. Uh, a lot of fun to watch, and uh, they'll take several cars a minute go through a shredding machine. And what results are isolated streams of ferrous scrap that could be literally these are fifth-sized pieces of scrap metal. Um, and then there's a combined non-ferrous stream that sorting technology will then further set out into copper, aluminum, zinc, etc. Then there's also the plastics and the non-metallics that are generated through shredding. And uh, there's a lot of research right now about how to refine um, and separate out by polymer the various uh, plastics that are used in whether it's in auto manufacturing and appliance manufacturing and consumer goods. And that's probably, as I think about it, that's probably where we're going to see the greatest development over time is in the, um, and where there's greatest opportunity is in the recycling of plastics. Uh, certain kinds of plastics, you know, any, any, like in the world of plastics, um, what percentage of them are recyclable or there are certain ones that are just, you can't do anything with. And, you know, when I say recycle, is it downcycling them, making them into park benches, which we only do so much of, or can you actually recycle them into virgin plastic? Well, certainly, uh, well, you don't, you're not recycling them into virgin plastics. What you're doing is recycling them into comparable feedstock that can be used by manufacturers. Um, certainly, there is a certain amount of downcycling. But right now, I think the statistic I've seen is that around 10% of plastics are recycled, and that's across all types of plastics. We're seeing lots of opportunity and and, um, research being done on industrial plastics. So, for example, we've been a partnership with the plastics industry on a a recycling program on car bumpers. On the commercial, or, or on the residential front, where most people are familiar, certainly one of the highest rates of recycling when it comes to plastics is polypropylene, and it's um, it's, it's PET. And those are Mm -hmm. beverage bottles, you know, uh, some food containers, uh, some shampoo bottles, et cetera. And so I think people are used to recycling that. The same thing when it comes to high-density polyethylene, which is used, for example, with milk jugs. But there are opportunities when it comes to polyvinyl chloride, PVC. We see research in that area. Um, also polystyrene, which are your plastic foam cups and your egg boxes, meat trays, things like that. Um, there's work being done in that area as well. So there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to plastic. Okay, very good. So what's the best way for listeners to, you know, to maybe become a member of ISRI if they can or find out more, uh, you know, to take the conversation further? What do you suggest? 
That'd be great. Thank you. We um, certainly our website is a is a, a great resource for information about the industry, including membership. It's www.isri.org. Um, certainly, uh, we encourage people to follow us also on social media at uh, and our you can use at isri. Also, other um, terms that are used are DSR for uh, design for recycling. And I urge, urge anyone who's interested to feel free to contact me directly at rwiener, R-W-I-E-N-E-R, at isri.org. Okay, very good. Well, Raman, thank you so much for coming, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking again. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.